Welcome to The Upward Journey, the weekly podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship, located in Flat Rock, North Carolina. In this series, we take a look at the various proofs surrounding the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Discover what it means to have questions and even healthy skepticism as long as you are willing to explore the evidence. Join us now for The Upward Journey. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Upward Christian Fellowship. We are so glad to have every single one of you here with us this morning. And we're looking forward to what God is going to do and what he's going to teach us and show us as we dig in a little bit today. So today what we're doing is we're actually continuing a series that we started just a while back called The Evidence. And in this particular series, we've kind of been unpacking all of this, this proof that points to the reality of a resurrection, right? We've been looking at all of the evidence that shows that Jesus really did rise up, come up out of that grave, that it's not just some story or a fairy tale, that it's reality. So we've opened up scripture and we examined the evidence at the scene a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we had this awesome opportunity to look at the eyewitnesses. Pastor Andy dug into that good stuff there about all of the eyewitnesses that can attest to the fact that Jesus Christ was alive after he was buried. So this week, I am extremely excited that we started this conversation with the skeptic in mind, okay? Because there's a skeptic in all of us. Listen, let's be real in church today, okay? How many of you have known Christ, you've you've been on this relationship, this journey with Christ for 20 years or more? Just slip up your hand real high, okay? Wow, a lot of you. How many of you, like, uh, let's say five years or more, that's been you, that you've been on this wall? And then how many of you, maybe you're like brand new to it. Within the past year or so, you came to know Christ, and you're, you're walking, that's awesome. I love to see hands answering that one. Here's the thing. We began with this idea of embracing the notion that you don't have to lay down intellect in order to pursue faith. And I think that's a huge thing for us to understand because many times in our society, Christians are looked at as, well, they just believe that and they're kind of dumb, right? That they just accept it and that's just the way it is. And listen, there is an element of faith that we're going to talk about next week. But we need to realize that there is evidence beyond just this that also points to the resurrection. So today we're going to look at what we would refer to as extra-biblical evidence. The resurrection, the proof of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. The stuff that's outside of Scripture. Now, before you freak out, because some of you are like, this is church and you don't go outside the Bible. Listen to me, okay? You'll be all right. Listen. We need to understand that just because something is not in Scripture doesn't make it untrue. Let me say it again. Just because something isn't in here doesn't make it untrue. And in our situation today, in fact, it actually supports everything that we see here. And the reason that we need to have this conversation, the reason we need to look at some of the historical evidence beyond Scripture is because we have folks who are already here at the table, right? If I invite most of you in this room to come and sit down and have a conversation, I can say, well, Scripture says this. Well, Paul wrote this. Well, Moses wrote, and we accept that. 
But what we need to realize is that there are many people who are not yet at this table. And we can't just go with the age-old, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. They're not ready to accept a conversation based on what Scripture says. They're over here. And they need us to engage in an intellectual, I'm not talking about snotty, overeducated, arrogant conversation. Just informed. Like know what history says. They want us to have a conversation here so that our hopes can be that we get them over there. That's what we're aiming at today, okay? So can you hang with me? We'll, we'll, we will look at scripture, I promise, don't worry. For those of you who like hearing the Bible in church, then we will get to that, I promise. But we're going to look at a couple of other pieces, and we're going to look at what history shows us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we're going to deal with today is that history shows us the written accounts, okay? History shows us written accounts. The amazing thing about the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is again, it's not some vain mythology tucked off in some old ancient text somewhere. Multiple writers throughout history attest to the record. Multiple historians. Many writers say, this apparently happened. We, we can't come up with a reason that this didn't happen. And there's a bunch of information on this, but I just want to give you two that I hope will be compelling enough for those of you who are here today and, and you're asking some questions that, that maybe this will get you from this place to the table. And for those who are already at the table, that maybe you'll get up from the table for once. That was ugly. I'm sorry. True. Get up from the table for once and go have that conversation in order to get them to that place. So as we talk about the written accounts, there are two here that I want us to look at. And the first is a guy, if you're taking notes, by the name of Josephus. Okay? Josephus. Cool name. Um, if I have another boy, I may name him that just for fun. I'm kidding. Josephus, this guy was a first century, hear me now, he was first century historian. We're talking 37 to 100 AD. So we're not talking about this big gap between when Jesus died and when this guy existed. We're talking boom, boom, all together. Josephus, listen to this. This is what's interesting about this guy. He was a commander of the Jewish forces in Galilee. Not a Christian. Everybody say, not a Christian. He was not a follower of the way. He was a Jew. And listen to this. He later became a Roman citizen. Strike two. Not only that, but he was employed as the historian for three different emperors of Rome. So, this guy has no reason to say, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. No reason whatsoever. And what we can find is a passage in some of his writing referred to as antiquities. We can find a passage that says this. I'm going to show you two versions, and there's a reason. The first is this one. Now, if you're reading that, I'm not going to go through it for sake of time. But if you're reading that, you notice there's a couple of sections that are highlighted. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Christians need to be honest. We need to recognize that sometimes the evidence we try to use may have some issues that we've got to deal with. Everything you see highlighted up there, it says about this time there lived Jesus, if indeed ought, one ought to call him a man. Ooh. It says he won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. Okay, 
Here's the problem with this traditional rendering of that text that Christians have used a lot. Josephus didn't say that. Okay? This was a version of antiquities, a portion from antiquities, that Christians got a hold of and, and kind of monkeyed with just a little bit to, so it sounded a little stronger than what it did. A Jewish Roman citizen would not have used the phrase, he was the Messiah. That never would have happened. But here's what's encouraging. We have some Arabic manuscripts. If y'all get bored, just close your eyes, take a nap. I promise you'll be okay. For the rest of you, just lean in if you're enjoying. Okay, so three of you. Um, (laughs) We found another transcript of this, and this is what it actually says. At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. No need to do that, but he did. Look down a little bit further, almost to the very end, the last two sentences, it says this. Of his disciples, those who became his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared three days after his crucifixion and was alive. Accordingly, he was, listen, perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Who was Josephus? Two things. He was a Jew and he was a Roman. The fact that a Jewish Roman citizen would even record that version is huge. Because you have to understand the pressure that was on the Jewish community at this time to keep retelling the narrative we heard Pastor talk about a few weeks ago that they stole the body from the tomb. That was the pressure on the Jewish community. And yet, what does Josephus record? His disciples reported that he appeared to them three days after. And perhaps he was the Messiah. There was no reason for him to say all of this. We see through ancient Jewish writings, there's one called the Toldet Yesu, which actually records, hey, when we have this conversation, we say that that they stole the body. And yet Josephus says, no, 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 no. This is what it was. I heard a fantastic teacher say this one time. A great historian records history as it was, not as he wishes it had been. Josephus didn't embellish it. He wasn't willing to accept that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was a great historian who was willing to say, I'm going to record it as it happened. Let me give you a second one. Are y'all still with me? Okay, it's easy. Lots of, lots of history here, so it's easy to kind of get bogged down. Let me give you this one. This image right here, this next one that we've got, it is referred to as the Nazareth inscription. Okay? It's a big tablet, 24 inches by 15 inches. Okay? It's called the Nazareth inscription because that's where it was found, was in Nazareth, this particular uh, edition of it. Okay? The Nazareth inscription has been dated to the first half of the first century. Zero to 50 AD. Sounds about right. Okay? More specifically, using what's called epigraphy, studying how the actual tablet was carved and the way it was written, and studying the different textual evidences and linguistics. Y'all have heard of that before, right? How they say something, the way they use phrases. We've dated it more specifically to 41 AD. 
We're talking five to seven years after the crucifixion of Jesus. The individual who gave this particular decree is what's on this tablet here. His name was Emperor Claudius. Now, I just want to read this to you. Stay with me. It is my decision concerning graves and tombs. Whoever has made them for the religious observances of parents or children or household members, that these remain undisturbed forever. But if anyone legally charges that another person has destroyed or in any manner, listen to this, extracted those who have been buried or has moved with wicked intent those bodies to other places, committing a crime against them, I order that a tribunal be created, and he goes on to say that that person, be vi- this violator, suffer capital punishment with the title tomb breaker. 41 AD, a decree goes out to the Roman Empire. If you mess with the tomb and take the body out, we're going to kill you. Now, you're like, that doesn't necessarily point to the re- resurrection, does it? But let me show you some pictures, okay? We'll, we'll get to that, that, that line next. But let's go ahead. Let me show you this picture. These are actual warning labels from different products. Do not put any person in this washer. <laughs> Seems odd. But okay, let me show you a couple more. Look at these next two. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw, stupid. (laughs) Who does that? Look at that one. Do not tip or rock the vending machine. This one's perfect for church. Articles of value should not be left on seats during Holy Communion. Now, hang with me. Why do we have those warning labels? Because we're reactionary and somebody did this. Somebody held the wrong end of the chainsaw, y'all. We had to make a warning label for it. You might be a redneck if. (laughs) Even in our society, we create these statements because someone did it. The Roman emperor of the entire Roman Empire wrote a decree, a warning, a statement just within a few short years of the, quote, resurrection of Jesus. And he said, if you take a body out of a tomb, we'll kill you. Why? Because that had persisted as truth, that the tomb was empty. We're not going to let you get away with that anymore, so we will kill you. So here you have a Roman citizen who is a Jew, who's a historian, and you have the emperor of Rome making this decree, saying this. Even within that decree, he says, with wicked intent, that's a reference to a body being moved to perpetuate some sort of fraud. Why would you use those words? Because the tomb was empty, and everybody knew it. And it wasn't some mythology that was 10, 12 decades later, hundreds of years. We're talking within four, five, six, seven years. They said, we got to do something about this. People are talking about it too much. So, if you hear that evidence and you're over here, 
can I invite you to just ask yourself if that's interesting enough? And that's just two pieces out of a whole lot. Is that interesting enough for you to at least come over here and join me at the table for a moment? Is that at least somewhat compelling to bring you to the table so that then I can take you to what this says? In 1 Corinthians, we read it for the past couple weeks, 15, verse 3 says this, Paul writes, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. This letter that Paul wrote was like 52 AD, somewhere right in there, 52, 54. He writes this letter and he says, what I bring to you, I received, I pass on to you of utmost importance. Now listen, this piece of scripture, that one little section of verses that we've read, Almost all scholars universally, unanimously agree that this is what we call creedal content. It's a creed, something that was repeated in the early church, something that was repeated by those who were a part of this. Now, it was written in 52 AD, but in reality, Paul probably first heard this on his first trip to Jerusalem, which was 37 AD. Crucifixion. Paul hears this. There's no time to develop generations of story here. And yet they make this statement as a part of who they are, the early followers of the way, little Christ, Christians. They said, this is what we believe. We receive it, we pass it on to you. They receive it, they pass it on, and so on. There's some power to that if you'll just come to the table. So history shows us the written record. Second, History shows us the risk of believing this, okay? Now, as we go through today, understand that no singular piece of this evidence in and of itself is enough to make us say, oh yeah, it must have happened. But there's a such thing as corroborating evidence, evidence stacked on top of evidence, stacked on top of evidence, that at some point we've got to go, huh. So take every piece as we walk through today as one piece stacked on another, Okay? So history shows us the risk of believing. We all know that there was persecution of the early church, right? Here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> when it comes to persecution, we have written record by a guy named Tacitus. He was a Roman senator. He was a historian. He had zero sympathy for Christians. He didn't care about them. He didn't care about what they believed. It, it, it was not something that he said, oh, I feel bad for them. He just recorded what happened. He records the mass repression and persecution of Christians. He records what happened to them, the cruelty, the public beatings, the mockery, all that outside of Scripture. And he's just one of many that recorded this. So you've got the persecution, you've got, you've got the impact of reading outside of Scripture that they really endured this stuff. It's not just something we read about in here. It's not only the persecution, but we can see the imprisonment, right? We read the letters of Paul, we read Peter, and we hear, oh, well, you know, Scripture says they were in prison. Again, multiple historians and even some archaeological evidence points to that these places 
were real and that people like Peter and Paul actually spent time in these prisons. Now, when I say prison, let me be clear, okay? When we talk about a prison today, um, at the worst, we think of, you know, three square meals a day and some yard time and whatever, right? You with me? Or at the best, we think of Martha Stewart. This was not a Martha Stewart prison that these people were in, okay? Too soon? Somebody was like, oh, too soon to make a Martha Stewart? No, we're good. Um, One of the prisons that we know about was referred to as the Mamertine prison. It was essentially a sewage system for Rome. And they would put prisoners in there. And they wouldn't die because of lack of food. They wouldn't die because, uh, you know, people didn't give them water. They would die from asphyxiation, from the gases of all of the sewer contents choking them out. And those who didn't die, or when they did die, uh, on occasion, once it had become full, they would just flush the sewer out with the bodies along with it. That kind of imprisonment isn't recorded in here. Stick with me. You hear me? If anything, we get a better version of what they went through in light of their relationship with a God who was above all of it. If anything, you have Paul saying, listen to me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're like, yes, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt and on my shoes so I can dunk a ball. He wrote that from this very sewer. And yet he doesn't say that. We read that in historical documentation. And then last up, we have the risk of believing being the deaths. I've just thrown together a little illustration up here for you guys to see as I walk through these. These are some of the disciples as well as a couple of others that I'm going to mention. But you take, for instance, Peter, not recorded in Scripture, recorded outside of Scripture. Peter was actually crucified hanging upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified in the manner Christ was. They obliged. We'll hang you upside down and crucify you. Listen to this. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he was most likely, according to record, historical record, skinned alive and then beheaded. Gross, huh? Paul. Paul's death was recorded, here's another one, by a guy named Tertullian. All right? Tertullian was not a fan of Paul, by the way. Okay? And he records that Paul was beheaded under the reign of Nero. And then one more for you that's interesting. James, we believe James, the brother of Jesus, recorded by another writer, records that James was invited to preach by the Pharisees on the top of a temple. They did this in the hopes that he would renounce what it is that he believed. He stood on top of the temple, and when he began to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, him resurrected, and the Messiah, they were so angry, they went up and pushed him off of the temple. And he didn't die. From where he was, he began to pray for the very ones who had just pushed him off the temple. So they stoned him. Now, we have... Record keepers, historians like Tacitus, Suetonius, Ignatius, Polycarp, Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus, all of these 
various sources outside of Scripture that record these instances. And if we have all of that, we have to say there must have been a reason that they died. It was because they believed Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead. Now, I know some of you are like, Nate, that's not enough for me. Plenty of people die for a cause. I agree, but it is against our human nature to do so. We're a people of self-preservation. Like if one of my kids gets in trouble, I've got one of my kids that will come to me and say, Daddy, I know better than that. I won't name names, but one's tall and one's little, and they're both boys. So that, that's in our nature to say, no, 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 no. No, I'm not, I'm not going to keep pushing at that. But all throughout history, we're talking just the early church that we see all of these accounts, but it goes all the way up through that we see in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century, on and on. Even to now, when a young woman stands in a library in Columbine and says, I believe in Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead. Yes, people die for causes, but not in mass, not repeatedly, not consistently throughout all of history. So, if you will take all of this and understand, they weren't dying for a message they were passionate about. They were dying for the message that they were willing to die for. They weren't dying for a truth. They were dying for the truth, the way, the life. And if that sounds interesting to you, will you come to the table? Will you sit so that I can share with you that 1 Corinthians 15 also says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The last thing that history shows us is this, the rise of the church. The rise of the church in and of itself, is strong proof of the resurrection. Many of the authors we've already highlighted, Eusebius, Josephus, record the numerical growth of the early church. Do you realize that history tells us that when it comes to the early church, that within five, roughly five centuries after the birth of Christianity, it became the predominant professed religion of the Roman Empire? within five centuries. Folks, that's fast. But listen, what's really powerful about that are many of the ones who became followers of the way. The Jews. You say, what is, what, how does that point to a resurrection? Many people argue against the empty tomb. They argue against the resurrection because they say that this story of Jesus being alive, risen from the dead, was borrowed from pagan mythology. They say there were tons of stories, and there were. Historically, there were. But here's the catch. That works for everyone except the Jews. Because the Jews believed it was abhorrent to God to borrow any practice from a pagan religion. They would have said, no, we're not touching that. No matter how much we want it to be true, we're not touching that. So they wouldn't have done that unless they knew it to be so. Secondly, half of the Jews didn't even believe in bodily resurrection. 
Well, we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there were multiple other sects within that. But listen, those are kind of the two primary we always hear, right? The Sadducees didn't even believe in resurrection. And yet, many of those who were coming to the way were those who previously would have said, we don't believe this. And even the ones who did believe in it believed that it was a far-off event that would happen to everybody one day. They had no concept of a single individual in the middle of history rising from the dead. And yet, they were the ones who believed. And again, if some of that is compelling enough, if you'll just come to the table, then it's not so hard to accept. In Acts chapter 2, where we read, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 added to their number that day. Phenomenal. But the rise of the church wasn't just about the numbers. The rise of the church was about how they rose up how they impacted the culture around them, how they changed the very, listen, how they changed the very dynamic of the communities that they lived in. I got two stories, and I don't have time to share them both, so I'll just glance across one. If you want to hear more about it, come see me, but then I want to close with another one, okay? There was a guy named Emperor Julian. If you want to go look this up, he had a whole historical record This was a guy who grew up under Christianity, hated it, decided he wanted pagan religion back. Julian actually wrote an entire collection called Against the Galileans or Against the Christians where he highlights that he's ticked off that these supposed Galileans, these supposed Christians were taking better care of the poor than they were. Not just their own poor, but their poor. He was mad about that. But listen to this account. This is the one that I want you to hear. In 250 AD, so 200 and some change years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was an outbreak in the Roman Empire that, again, most historians believe was smallpox. And it took over the entirety of Rome. It was said that up to 5,000 people were dying every single day as a result of this disease. Dionysius records this in the midst of this plague. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred of death themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, the result of great piety and strong faith. History shows us that Christianity wasn't just some religious belief. History shows us that God in the flesh died, rose from the grave, and because of all of that, we now give of ourselves. And I want to close with this, a challenge to every single one of you. Don't let 
the historical record stop with them? Because now we become the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How we treat others becomes the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How we love, how we show grace, how we challenge, how we disciple, how we rise up is the proof that he rose up. Don't let the historical evidence stop with the generation before us. In a hundred years, should this earth still remain, how powerful would it be to know that someone can go back to a historical record about those Christians that lived in Flat Rock, Asheville, Hendersonville, Western North Carolina, and made a difference because they believed in Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and risen from the grave. Amen? I want to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship, you can look up our website at www.ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash upwardchristianfellowship. Join us next week for the Upward Journey.